This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. We're going to start today with Hebrews chapter 2, so if you have a Bible, go there. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we'll have it on the screen, and it says this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention, say closer attention, closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message we declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God himself also bore witness through signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit that he distributed according to his will. To begin, what is the writer getting at here? Well, in reference to the very first word we see in this this chapter, therefore, we actually have to go back a little bit. So go back with me to chapter one, beginning in verse seven. And and I'm gonna do just a quick little spotlight of a a few things that the writer sets up here in in chapter one. I don't wanna get bogged down with it today, but I wanna help give some context to the therefore. Hebrews 1, verse 7 through 19 says this. Of the angels, he says this. He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, the Son of God, Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, the Saving One, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and you have hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Now, if you have a Bible and you see this indented, that is trying to telegraph to you that this is a quotation from the Old Testament. What is the the writer of Hebrews actually quoting from? He's quoting from the Psalms here. Psalm 45, he's quoting from Psalm 102, he's quoting from Psalm 104. And why these particular texts are important is because they are establishing Jesus' authority and his position with God as that being bigger than the angels and more superior to them in every way. And that probably doesn't seem like too profound a thought, unless, of course, your theology is that Jesus is just another teacher or messenger from God. But that's actually precisely the opposite of what the writer of Hebrews is trying to establish here. He's trying to establish that the messenger is God himself in the flesh. Jesus, the incarnate one, the saving one, the anointed one. In the past, messages were brought through messengers. We call them angels, right? The Torah and the word and the law was given through angels, through messengers. But in the new covenant, the message is brought From Jesus himself, the king himself, steps down from heaven to give us the message from his own lips. And so he comes to us, preaching a superior message of God and his kingdom. We see this language with scepters and uprightness and kingdom and righteousness. And this is the message. It's the gospel that we have heard, the good news for our salvation. And that's why we as believers are called in Hebrews chapter two, verse one, to not drift away. The title of my message today, for those taking notes, is avoid the drift. Avoid the 
drift. Anybody been boating before? Anybody been out on a fishing boat recently? A couple months ago, I got the opportunity to go fishing down in South Carolina. And I went out on a boat. We got to do some saltwater fishing. Anybody do that before? It's a lot of fun. We went fishing for sharks and redfish and other exotic ocean fish. And uh, the boat captain took us out on the water and he took us to a place where he thought there'd be some fish. But the problem was, was we started to drift. The winds were pretty strong that day. The current was strong and it was pulling us out to sea. So he was fighting against the current, trying to get us into this little peninsula, this little part of the bay where he knew the fish would be. And so we got to the place where he had to tell his assistant, I need you to throw the anchor down because we're just gonna keep drifting. And that's a lot of how our lives are like if we're not anchored to something. We drift. We start drifting, don't we? With the culture, with the, the stuff that's all around us in the world, all of the forces from outside of our lives, and even, yes, from within our lives. We, we battle this thing called flesh. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When it's like midnight and you want to go to the refrigerator and get yourself a little snack? The battle is on. <laughs> when I was a kid, it was Hot Pockets. You guys remember those? Hot Pockets, man. My parents made sure the Hot Pockets were stocked in my house because they knew. They knew little Jason had an appetite. I'd wait till everybody goes to sleep and then get into the kitchen, open up the door, and I'd make myself a Hot Pocket. When you're 41, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> it catches up with you. So we have this, this thing called the flesh, and we have an enemy for our souls named Satan, the devil, the deceiver, the accuser, who wants to help you get off course. He wants to start pulling you in his current, in his undertow. So we need to avoid the drift. And my concern right now is that for many of us in our culture and with, even within our churches that we're drifting. And because we drift, we miss out on, I think, a lot of times what God has for us. Sometimes we do this through what I call companionship with the world, meaning that we, we befriend the world and the worldly system because we want influence. And as a result of our trying to win influence with others, we accommodate them through kindness. And so what we've done in our culture is we, we elevate kindness at the expense sometimes of telling the truth in love. And sometimes for many of us, that's the struggle when we're with our friends or with our family, right? We want them to feel loved. We want them to feel accepted. We want them to feel accommodated, but sometimes at the expense of God's word. And sometimes we do this not just with our friends and with our family, but sometimes we, we do this ourselves. <laughs> we give ourselves a little pass. Well, I'm, I'm drifting, but I'm not that far gone, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just speeding a little bit. I'm only going 10 miles per hour, not 20 miles per hour like that guy. Over the speed limit, I should say. <laughs> right? So we start giving ourselves little passes. And then next thing you know, we're just, we're just off course. We're just drifting. We're, we're being pulled out to sea. And we're like a ship without an anchor, without a compass, without direction. Here's where I want us to be encouraged. What we're facing today, you and I, is not new. Okay, what we're facing in our world today, even politically, it's not new. Racially, economically, socially, it's not new. These are not new problems. The church has faced them before. And for many, I would say there's still time to repent. There's still time to, to change the road you're on, change the course you're on, to, to come home. And this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do here. He's trying to help the Jewish Christians at this time who are being pressured to acquiesce to the culture and the demands of their day to remain faithful, to not drift, to avoid the drift. And he points this out in Hebrews chapter two, verse three through four. He says, this isn't the word of angels. This is the word of God himself. 
The apostles were witnesses to it. God confirmed it with miracles and with signs and with wonders. And then just to seal the deal, you know what he did? He started giving gifts through his Holy Spirit. I love that about God. He's like, I'm gonna give you a sign. I'm gonna give you a wonder. I'm gonna give you a miracle. I'm gonna give you testimony. And then I'm gonna give you gifts. I just think that's amazing that the heart of the Father is just to do everything he can to make sure that we don't miss the boat, (laughs) that we don't drift out to sea and get pulled out in the current of life. So how do we avoid the drift? How do we make this practical for uncommon living today? I'm glad you asked. I wanna give you three ways this morning that I think we can do this as a church. Are you ready? Are you alive? Are you with me? All right. Number one, you gotta wake up. You gotta wake up. Some of you are asleep at the wheel of life and God wants you to wake up. He wants you to wake up. Maybe uh, the rocking of the boat wooed you to sleep. Maybe the the gentle movement of of the tides and the waves over time just allowed you to drift off course. Maybe it caused you to lay down, get a little tired, a little sleepy, take a little nap. Maybe it allowed you to let your guard down in some areas, get a little lazy in some areas, get a little lax in some areas. Spiritually speaking, maybe for some of you, maybe you're watching this online or listening to this, maybe stop going to church or surrounding yourself with wise leaders, godly leaders and accountability and and wise counsel. You started drifting. Maybe you just got tired. Anybody ever just get tired? Sometimes we just get tired of fighting the good fight and we are in a fight and we are in a battle. And so we get burned out or we tap out before our time and as a result, we start drifting. And the truth is, we need to wake up We need to wake up now because our boat's taking on water and for some of us, we don't even know it. We don't even realize that our boat is taking on water and we're about to go down with the ship. But that's not what God wants for us. It's not what he wants for our lives. He wants us to wake up. So how do you do that? Well, to make it practical, how do you do it in the morning? I set an alarm, don't you? Anybody wake up without an alarm? Wow, that was way more hands than I thought would come up in this room today. That's impressive. Can I just say, wow, that means you are, uh, you go to bed early, don't you? No? And you still wake up without an alarm? Wow. Might have to do a seminar on how to do that. Help the rest of us. Anybody absolutely need an alarm? (laughs) Anybody hit the snooze like 10 times before you get up? Yeah, okay. Only on Sundays. I love it. But for for many of you, (laughs) you have to set an alarm. And prayer is a lot like this. Prayer is what I would consider the best alarm that you can set because when you enter into prayer, you do so not just reactively, you do so proactively. You do so to remain alert and to remain sensitive and aware to what God is saying and what is going on in the world around you. And for some of you, you need to reset some of your prayer alarms today. The best alarm that I think we can set for our lives is prayer because prayer is not something that just the professionals can do. It's not just something just the pastors can do. Every single one of us can pray. And here's a simple prayer that all of you can pray. Are you ready? God help! Anybody pray that recently? Some of you are like, I pray that every day. (laughs) What's the old song? Every hour I need thee, every second I need thee, right? So for many of us, that's the call and that's the invitation to pray and to keep it simple to offer words to God, because here's the cool thing. God already knows what we need before we pray. That's actually what scriptures tell us. What he's trying to do is he's trying to invite you and to invite me into an ongoing dialogue with him where we begin to understand his heart and become aligned with his purposes. 
That's the point of prayer. The point of prayer isn't just to get what we want. For some of us, we think that's the point. If I could just get everything I want, I'd be happy. No, you won't. You'll probably be more miserable because we don't know what we want. Most time, we don't even know what we need. But when we pray, we open our hearts to this dialogue where God can begin to speak, where the Holy Spirit can begin to work and to breathe. And next thing you know, we become more aligned with his purposes. He awakens our soul to it. He wants us to stay awake, to remain awake. And here's the cool part. When we pray, sometimes we call it intercession. When we, when we intercede for others, we actually enter into this ongoing dialogue that God is having right now in the heavens. The Bible tells us that Jesus is interceding for you. He's praying for you. How cool is that? And the Holy Spirit is praying for you. I, I just think that's awesome. You know, two out of the three members of the Godhead are praying for us right now. That means our odds are in our favor. <laughs> Those are good odds. But here's what James 5, verse 16 says to us in the NLT. It says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Can I say that again for those in the back? The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. Do you believe that today? And it produces wonderful results. I love that. And I love that God allows us to participate in something that has power and that produces wonderful results. Because I don't know about you guys, but sometimes the stuff that I do doesn't produce wonderful results. My efforts and my attempts to control my life, rule my life, manage my life, and dictate the outcomes of my life often fail. But I believe that when we pray, when we step into who we are as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, we put on our God-given authority, we put on our God-given mantle, we step into the gap for the sake of our friends and our loved ones and our neighbors and our city, and we believe that when we pray, it has power while it's working, and it's going to produce some awesome, wonderful results. Am I talking to anybody today that's passionate about prayer? And we say that as a church. We are passionate about prayer. We don't apologize about praying for big things. We like to pray for big things, audacious things. You're like, you pray for miracles? You pray, you pray for God to heal cancer? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And we do so putting our reputation on the line because we trust that God is the healer and God can do it. And I think the reason why some of us pray is because we don't want to be made a fool of. Or we don't like when God says no or wait or not yet. So we, get, we take it real personally. But if we know who we are in Christ Jesus and we know that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results, then we trust God with the results. Amen. We're people of faith. We're not people of outcomes. Our faith isn't in getting what we want or seeing the outcome we want take place. Our faith is in him. And we trust him with the outcome. And you know what? The minute we get a hold of that, it just frees us. It liberates us. Years ago, I had the privilege of of sitting with a, with a man of God who years back was pretty famous for having a, a really well-known healing ministry. And he said, Jason, the first thing you gotta realize is that I've prayed for more people that haven't got healed than have been healed. But God told me to pray for the sick and to lay hands on them and to believe that they'll recover. And I was like, but God, what if it doesn't happen? He said, you're still concerned about your reputation. You need to trust me with mine. There's something there for us, church, if we're gonna be a praying people. If we're willing to step into the gap where sometimes the people we pray for don't get healed, we're not going to stop praying because that doesn't happen. We're going to trust God to work it all out in the end. And by the way, heaven is not a consolation prize. Amen. Paul says we, we long for the redemption of our bodies. So whether this side of heaven or the next, it's coming. 
And the healing and the restoration that we're gonna experience is gonna be so good. And it's gonna make our time on this earth seem so short. And the pain and the suffering and the toiling and all the stuff that we go through in scope of eternity is gonna seem like a speck, like a grain of sand in a giant ocean that goes on and on and on and on. So don't be discouraged when you pray, church. Keep praying, keep believing. Some of you have got dreams in your heart. You're believing God for miracles today. You're believing God for breakthrough today. I'm believing God for breakthrough today. I'm believing God for breakthrough for this church and for where God has positioned us in this city. I'm believing God for favor. I'm believing God for audacious favor, for unexpected, lavish favor, for things that I don't deserve. Aren't you? I wanna encourage you today to do that. So number one, we gotta wake up and we gotta do so by becoming a people that are prayerful, passionate about prayer. Number two, once you're awake, you gotta pay attention. <laughs> this is the harder part. And we see it right here in verse one of Hebrews chapter two, don't we? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For many of us, this is the battle, just to stay focused. Because we live in a world of distractions. You have a world of distractions, I have a world of distractions. We're bombarded with it all the time. I've said this in the past, the, the greatest enemy of our soul is distraction. And the problem is, is that we live with so much distraction that we accept it as normal. We make room for it in our hearts. And because of that, we're far too easily distracted, which means that we can't focus. And if you can't focus, you can't think. You know, they've been doing a lot of research about these devices that we have in our, our hands and in our, our laps called iPads and iPhones you've got one or you've got a Samsung or a Google phone. And they've been doing research about what it's doing to our brain chemistry. One of the leading researchers right now, I just, just listened to this podcast this week, said that every time you get a notification on your phone, a text, ding, it releases a little bit of dopamine in your brain. Did you know that? It's like getting a little dopamine hit. Every time you get a little ding or you see a little notification pop up or you receive an email, and the problem is, is that we, we are being trained like Pavlov's dogs to respond to the bell. And because of that, we're, we, every time we, we get a notification, we're like, ah, ah, a treat. <laughs> right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Where they, they used to train the dogs. They'd ring the bell. The dog would come. They'd give them a treat. They'd ring the bell. The dog come, give them a treat. Ring the bell, give them a treat. And then they ring the bell and the dog came and there was no treat. And he's like, oh, what's going on? Because he'd been trained to answer the bell, to answer the notification. And that's us in our society today. And because of that, we just get pulled away. You know what we've done as just a family, just, just to make this practical? We, we've said no cell phones at the dinner table. And I can tell you, the first couple weeks was really hard. <laughs> really hard. We go out to eat sometimes and there's screens on and there's things around us and it's you know, it's such a battle. But can I tell you, what's really cool now is that my kids will, will be like, Dad, no, no cell phone at the table. <laughs> Mom, no cell phone at the table. They've got it now. They've got ownership of it. And we help each other. We keep each other accountable. But you know what it's done? It's created space for conversation. It's created space to notice things. Hey, I noticed you're a little down today, son. What's going on? But you can't do that when your head's in your, in your phone or on your computer. And so just taking time to get practical with this, I, th I think it's more simple than we make it, honestly. But what it means is that we've got to build some boundaries around what we do. We've got to pay closer attention and we've got to 
allow God to help us and, and to speak into this area, it means that we've, we've got to allow him to, to establish boundaries around our technology because we're not very good at it. So the question I want to ask you today is maybe this. When do you actually turn your phone off? Does your phone ever get turned off or do you just leave it charged? <laughs> leave it connected by the bed? How about the emails and notifications? Do you have a quiet time? Do you have a do not disturb time? What about with your social media and streaming? Do you have days where you go without these things? As I mentioned, prayer is a, a great way to wake up and stay alert, but I found that fasting is actually really helpful when it comes to establishing healthy boundaries with our technology, with our distraction devices, with our double Ds. Fasting allows you to actually retrain your mind. Did you guys know that? It allows you to retrain your mind to regain your focus. What if every couple of days you just fasted from technology? You just took a little break. Call it Fasting Friday. On Fridays, we're just, we're gonna turn social media off. I'll tell you what, I started practicing this and it has really helped my soul. Because you know, here's what happens, you guys. We don't even realize how bombarded we are with just the noise of the world. And if we're gonna be in the world and not of the world, we've gotta learn how to disengage from it. I'm not talking about building a bunker, living as a hermit out in the desert, no. I'm talking about a more radical middle ground where we just learn how to have a good relationship with our technology, with our social media accounts. And fasting kind of retrains our soul in this. It retrains us to go without, to abstain from, from eating, from consuming, right? Consuming media, consuming entertainment, consuming the things that, that oftentimes vie for our attention. And, and that's what fasting does, but it, but it also helps us connect with God. It helps us figure out actually how to pray, to get to a place where we can actually hear. Okay, now, Lord, I actually know what to pray for. Now I know what you're saying. Now I'm actually receiving from you. So what if you did this every couple of days? You might have a few withdrawals at first. It might be a little hard, but it could be one of the greatest gifts that God ever gives you. And as your pastors, I just wanna give you permission to try it. Try it. Take a day where you just put your cell phone in a box or in a drawer. For those of you that can't, I know, I know for many of us, we work on our phones and that's a reality. But try it out and watch what God will do as you fast, as you lean into to moving beyond the distractions and beyond the things that come at you. So you gotta pay attention. And to do that, you might have to make some changes. Number three today, and finally, you gotta get anchored. You gotta get anchored. And I want to keep this practical. What I mean is that you need to get anchored in God's word. You need to get anchored to the book. If you're not reading scripture, you're missing out on the very words of God, the very thing that is actually going to keep you from drifting in the first place. That's why he says, pay close attention to what you have heard. What have they heard? They've heard the message that's come from God to them that we now have in ink on paper given to us. We call it the word of God, the Holy Scripture. It's his message. It's his gospel. And for some of you, this might just boil down to you opening up your Bibles a few more days than you do. You know, for, for some of you, it might mean getting a reading plan and just having something that you can kind of stick to as a, as a helpful tool. There's a lot of ways to do this today, you guys, and you know that. And so I think for many of us, we just need to be reminded that our anchor needs to be in God's word. We need to anchor ourselves to it. And here's the way that they used to talk about it back in the day. Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the Shema. 
He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today. So this is a commandment given from God for his people. Are you ready for it? These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So parents, this is your job right now in the years that you're raising children to teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house. Well, you can't do that if you're on your phone, can you? You shall talk of them when you are sitting down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down at night. Some of you, you go to bed to the TV and you let Fox News and CNN News and Netflix fill your heads with, with messages and programming rather than the word of God. But here he says, when you lie down at night, this should be at the forefront of your mind and your vision. And when you rise up in the morning, it should be the first thing that you see. Verse eight, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. They used to put like headbands on and they would dangle little pieces of the Torah. kind of amazing. They shall be like frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Basically, put God's word everywhere. Go to bed with it, wake up to it, fall in love with it, get it ingrained in your heart, tattoo it on your arms, put it on your legs. I don't care, keep it in front of you, teach it to the next generation, do all that you can do to have it instilled in you, why? So that you don't drift, so that you don't get pulled out to sea and swept up in the life of the culture. That's what he wants for us, he wants us to get anchored, anchored in the book, anchored in our Bibles so that we don't drift away. And that's God's heart for us this morning, to keep us from being swept away by the turning of the tides. And as a church, that's our heart for you as well. So maybe, in closing, you're here today and you feel like you're starting to drift and you don't know why. Maybe I've kind of touched on things that are, that are resonating with you. I wanna pray for you today. Uh, maybe you're here and, and you just need a wake-up call. Eh, 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 eh. Let me be that for you today. For some of you, you need to pray. You need, you need to get anchored in your Bibles again. You need to cut out some of the distractions. Or maybe you've already been drifting and you've been out to sea. Maybe you're watching this or listening to this message and you've drifted far from where you know you're supposed to be. And God in his grace and God in his great mercy, he's throwing you a lifeline today. He's saying it's time to come home. As he said to the Hebrews, then he's saying to us today in verse three, how will you and I escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Friends, don't neglect the amazing gift that God has for you today. It's a gift that Jesus paid a very high price for you and I to have, amen? He did so by spilling his own blood and enduring the pain and suffering of the cross, and he did it for you. He did it for love. So it's time to stop drifting. It's time to come home. And if that's you in this place today, maybe you're just saying, Pastor Jason, I want you to pray for me. I want all of us to just do that right now. I just wanna spend a couple moments in prayer. Maybe you just, this is a time for you to kind of reflect on some changes that you want to make with regards to your social media, your technology, your accounts, maybe just some, some, some things that you want to establish right now in you. And, and we're going to do it together as a church. Amen? So let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, that, that you're calling us home, Lord. You're calling us to be a people that are not drifting, but anchored, established in your word, established in prayer, established and focused and what you have for us, God. And I, I know, Lord, that you know that we often are distracted and diverted and we just struggle with that, God, because our, our culture has, a, has bombarded us with things. But Lord, you said greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So you give us power to change. 
power to commit, power to go all in. We call it your empowering presence, your grace in our lives. So Lord, I pray for anybody in this room that's just struggling right now. They feel like maybe they're drifting. Maybe they're just a little off course. They've been off course. They're ready to come back and be realigned with who you are, God, what you have for them. I pray that you'd help them right now in these moments to do that. And Lord, for those that are starting to feel the pressure to drift, that just feel a little burnout, a little crispy around the edges, they're just tired, God, would you reestablish them in rest today? Would you reestablish their anchor in you? You said that you have given us this anchor for our souls. That's the hope that we have. Jesus, you are the hope that we have. We wanna be anchored to you and nothing else like we sang today. You are our one thing. You are our passion. You are our great love. So let the purpose of our life be to honor you, to love you, to worship you, to serve you, to do so steadfastly and enduring all that's before us. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.